Hey, this is Rob, and this is episode 29 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right. This episode is brought to you by Flare Espresso. Flare Espresso makes awesome at-home uh, espresso makers. They're fully manual, super affordable. Uh, I just backed the Kickstarter for the new Neo Flare Espresso. So check out their full lineup of home espresso makers. If you like quality espresso, nice crema on the head, it is an awesome, awesome home espresso maker. That's flareespresso.com, F-L-A-I-R, espresso.com, F-L-I-R, <laughs> I said that wrong the first time. F-L-A-I-R, Espresso.com, F-L-A-I-R, Flare Espresso. Now, let's get on with this episode. So this episode is going to be a combination of a few things. One, it's going to be a recap of the most successful promotional program we've ran at Folly Coffee to date. Uh, If you've been following us on our Instagram or keeping up with any of our platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, you probably know that over last week I ran 130 miles in a week. If you don't know that, well, stay tuned why. So we're going to recap that program. Why did I end up running 130 miles? Uh, I'm going to talk about what it was like to run 130 miles during that week. Uh, But then I'm also going to break down why I think the promotion worked. Uh, like how I approached it at the beginning, what sparked the idea, how I executed it, why I think it became successful, and why it was able to generate so much attention uh, to Folly Coffee and to Open Arms Minnesota, which was the awesome organization that uh, we were partnered with on this program. I, I just want to give them a quick shout out. Open Arms of Minnesota is this amazing organization that my buddy Kevin Kokenar works for. He was just on the podcast episode. They are an organization that makes nutritious meals for those with life-threatening illnesses. And then they deliver them those meals because people with life-threatening illnesses, they can't go out and shop and just COVID-19 has brought a strange awareness to all of this that exposure is something you are, well, really exposed to. When you go out in public, and if you have a life-threatening illness, this is something we all have taken for granted before this whole pandemic. And so this organization already existed, but what a perfect organization to partner to during this time. If you go to Open Arms of Minnesota, let me check out their website URL really quick here. Open Arms of Minnesota. It is openarmsmn.org if you want to donate directly to them. Awesome organization. Highly recommend it. So we partnered with that organization in this program. So let's go back to square one. So this episode, from a purely business sense, I'm going to separate out a lot of the kind of, I don't know if you call it seriousness or emotion, but to me, you kind of have to separate the seriousness of the situation we're in with COVID-19 and health scares and just so much uncertainty in the air from just pure business strategy. And so I'm going to be talking a little bit about this program from a business strategy standpoint, and then also uh, the giving back aspect that was so important to me during this program. So this whole idea for the program started like so. We had run, we launched our website roughly a month and a half ago. So March 16th is when the news came down that, hey, 
everything's closing down. Uh, we're shelter in place. We're quarantining at home. And that's when we pivoted really quickly to focus on the website. We launched the new follycoffee.com website. We launched the fully revamped subscription service. Uh, and that was a huge hit. And so we were promoting the heck out of that for like almost a month straight. Just pure promotion of awesome new website brand new subscription service. It's very user-friendly. You don't have to pay up front. It's monthly recurring. All these things that I talked about in a previous episode about why we did that. Or did I do that? Maybe I need to talk more about that. Anyway, so we were focusing on that for like a month. And then it kind of, the same message over and over, new website, new subscription service kind of got stale. Like, if you follow us on our social media, if you're on our email subscription list, you are aware at this point, a month into it, that like, yeah, we know. It's April 16th. You've been talking about nothing but this for a month. And so we, we shook it up a little bit. We got these awesome Folly bandanas that we'd had in stock, and we released those. Hey, every purchase of Folly Coffee, you get this awesome bandana. Um, quick reason why we did that is... I highly recommend if you are selling something, and this is actually a tip from uh, my aunt Emily Voth, who started the company Indigo Wild, which is a Zumbar soap. They're a nationally distributed soap company. She really is against discounting products. Now, I'm definitely not as against discounting products as she is, but the reasoning behind this is that if you discount a product, the reason someone buys your product is because of the low price. If they're only buying it because of price, when you move back up in price, they're likely not going to remain a customer of yours. So if someone is buying it because of a low price, they're a price-sensitive customer, and if you have a premium high-quality product that you have to charge a high price for, this is probably not your customer. So if you build a business on this model that you are reducing price and that's how you're driving volume, then unfortunately, most of your volume is going to end up being lower margin, which is obviously not good for scaling a business. So what she has done is instead of discount a product, what are ways to gain a new loyal customer? And ironically, her reaction to this was always like, buy one, get one. Uh, which I was like, isn't that like taking a 50% hit on margin? But this is kind of a cool strategy because if you do a buy one, get one, yeah, you're taking a huge hit, but then that customer has two of your product, especially in something like food or beverage or in her case, soap, instead of having the one bar of soap, they now have two bars of soap. They can try two different types. They can get the same one twice and use it for longer. And when someone's using your product or consuming your product for longer, they're more likely to become a I don't, lifelong customer. If they really enjoy your product and it warrants that higher price, then they will remain a customer when it becomes the regular deal. Now, I didn't go as extreme as buy one, get one. Uh, coffee is a notoriously low margin industry. And so we don't have the margin within the pricing structure to be able to do buy one, get one and not absolutely lose our butts. But I wanted to like have something where it added value to what you're buying as opposed to just buying it for price. And so 
we did the bandana promo because I love promos like this where you get something cool in addition to your purchase as opposed to I'm only buying this for the low price. And so we did bandanas and so the pricing I was able to get on the bandanas made it so that you could almost build it into the cost and still be able to have thinner margins because you're building that into the cost, but the customer sees it as a value as opposed to like, oh, I'm buying this because it's a cheapo discount coffee now. So long tangent about why I like to do things like you get a bandana with your purchase as opposed to just purely money off your purchase. But Rob, you just launched your website with money off of your online subscriptions. That is an exception to the rule because something like a monthly reoccurring product like our monthly subscription service, it makes sense in my mind to reduce the price because that person has basically already committed up front that I'm going to be a regular customer. But Rob, they can cancel their monthly subscription after buying one bag. I just, you know, there's a but Rob for every scenario. And it's like, you, you got to think it through ways that weigh the pros and cons, but Price reduction for a recurring product makes sense to me, but for like a one-time purchase, try to create a value for them as opposed to I'm buying it because it's cheap. So that's what we did for two weeks. And that was also really successful. People really dug the bandanas. They say, can you bring them back? And I'm actually not gonna bring them back because when we say something is a limited run, if something works, let it work and then let it rest. If we were to say like limited run bandanas, buy it for this limited time only, and then people buy it, and then we run out and we go, just kidding, we bought more, you can continue to buy it, it loses that value. And over time, people will learn that we mean it, that if something is a limited run, that it's a limited run. When we're out, we're out. We do this with our mugs. We have never reordered a certain type of mug. We reordered one in a different color, but once our merchandise runs out, we let it run out and then revamp it. It's not a strategy that everyone loves, but the focus of our business is coffee. It's not merchandise. So I'm more concerned if people like our coffees, which are always available. Anyway, so we ran that for two weeks. It ran out. Now I'm sitting here. It's a Monday. Uh, we had just finished our bandana promotion where you buy a coffee, you get a free bandana. And I'm sitting here going like, what next? Things are still in quarantine. Things are still closed down. Business is still taking a huge hit on the wholesale. We need to continue to drive business through the digital side. And then also, in thinking of this, I'm also considering the fact that Folly is actually pretty fortunate through this whole situation. Because we are a wholesale-only business, we don't have a storefront. We don't have a huge staff. COVID-19 actually hasn't impacted our business as much as a lot of others for this reason. I haven't had to lay anyone off. We haven't had to make any drastic cuts. We've been able to stay super lean. And so I've said uh, the, the other thought in this process was because we're in this fortunate situation, is there a way I can leverage being in business and not having to worry about closing our doors and just staying lean? Is there a way to also give back? And it was really fortunate that I just filmed this episode of Coffee and Cooking with Kevin Koch, which is now available on YouTube. Uh, 
we had just filmed this episode, and so that brought the idea to mind that it's like open arms of Minnesota. This is a perfect opportunity. Uh, and so that's, again, where I looked at how, you know, the, the margin built into our bags and what could we do sustainably if this program was a massive success. And so we decided on the following. The first one is a fairly simple, basic thing that I've seen a lot of people do during this COVID-19 pandemic. Hey, a dollar of every bag goes to XYZ organization. So that was easy to think of. I want to support Open Arms. Hey, what if we run a limited program where a dollar of every single bag goes to Open Arms? That's simple. That's not any sort of creative thinking. That is just a really simple idea. But there's so many people doing that right now that you almost become inundated with too many offers. There's too many organizations to support. It's just not possible to support every organization you want to support while also taking care of yourself. And so I knew I needed an extra layer to this program. And this is where I started, the the meathead side of me started to kick in. Uh, I've got some favorite people I follow on Instagram that like really coax out this meathead side of me like right away that come to mind like Jocko Willink, uh, David Goggins are the two that they post really frequently and it's all super, super hyper aggressive like get after it. Jocko Willink's big, get after it every day. He gets up at 4.30 every morning, posts his workout, and David Goggins is swearing in your face while running hundreds of miles with broken feet. And I like the extremes of humanity. And I don't know that I want to live exactly like that, but I like to see the extremes of humanity, whether it's the extreme like work ethic of them, extreme creativity of others, and just take a shred of that and apply it to my own life. And so I'm looking at these two guys on Instagram going, man, these guys have a huge following based purely on the fact that they work really, really hard. And I'm like, is there a way that I could just literally work hard to sell coffee? Because that's one of my downsides of like uh, focusing digital during this time is I I like to work hard. And when things are open, you can work hard at selling. It's like knocking on doors. It's getting meetings. It is just like the more work you put in, the more you're going to sell because the more people you're going to interact with and the more opportunities are going to arise. The digital side, it's kind of like yelling into the void. It's like you create content, you put it out. It's so much work and editing. And then you put out the video, it gets whatever views, you send the program, you get whatever this. And it's kind of hard to tell if things are working or exactly what is making it work. And so I evaluated that and said, is there something I could do that is digitally focused that working hard, literally really, really hard work, could help sell coffee. And then that's where I was like, wait, the, the number one reason I follow David Gunn is because he runs so far. And I'm I'm not a runner. I, I like to work out a lot. I work out almost every day, but I am not a runner. The most I've ever ran in one period is me and my buddies challenged each other to do 100 miles in a month. So it's like three miles a day. And it was terrible. So with that in mind, I said, why not a running challenge? Because that is really, really hard work. 
And I was looking at our average weekly sales going, okay, what would be a reasonable running challenge that I, if things went really well, I would be able to hopefully accomplish uh, without killing myself, like legitimately. And that's where I, I called Jeff up. I go, hey, Jeff, I have this idea. Will you let me know if this makes me sound like an ass? I want to do a program where every bag of coffee sold, I run a certain distance. And he's he's like, okay, well, how far? I'm like, what about like a mile? I mean, that makes sense. And he's like, I did a marathon last year. If we were to sell our normal amount of coffee each week, you would be dying. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. What about a kilometer? He's like, still going to be a lot of running, but don't, definitely doesn't make you look like an ass. Supports an awesome organization. I say go for it. So we've got the plan. Like, So it started as just I wanted something positive. That was the other aspect I haven't mentioned yet is – it's it's a difficult thing to talk about during this time, but the overwhelming messaging I am seeing from businesses is buy our stuff because things are hard and we're a local business. And this is true. Things are really hard. And like I said, they're not as hard for us as a, people in a lot of different situations, but... When you go on Instagram, when you go on Facebook, when you check your emails and every single post, every single story, every single email is how to support us during COVID-19, during a time when a lot of people are also worried about themselves, it becomes, going back to previous episode, it becomes a red ocean. And what do I mean by that? This is in reference to my favorite business book of all time, Blue Ocean Strategy. Blue Ocean Strategy is the idea that if everybody is doing something the same with the same strategy, they're in a red ocean. It's filled with blood. All the sharks going. It's an extreme example. It's a red ocean. All the sharks are going after the same blood. And in this case, staying in business, selling, you know, staying in business. It's a serious thing going after that same thing. And so I'm looking at this going, here's the current landscape. I'm seeing a very similar message from almost every single local business support us because things are hard and it's good to support local, which obviously those are both true. I'm not belittling that in any way, but to get somebody's attention, you have to get to the blue ocean. The blue ocean is you need to do things so differently. Huh? This has some symbol on it. You need to do things so differently that people have to pay attention. And so, again, I highly recommend reading the book Blue Ocean Strategy. But you can basically make an axis, like a, like, a, like a chart, like a graph, and you can draw the current landscape of business. And so in this case, I'm thinking like food and beverage specifically. This is the industry that's been the most impacted, us included. Our entire wholesale business is all but gone because of this. <clears throat> and I'm looking at this going, okay, from a purely like messaging side, marketing side, what am I seeing in the market? 
I am seeing everybody on the left over here. They are saying support us and they're taking a message of almost like sympathy and like let's all band together, which is again true. I'm not trying to belittle, like please don't take this as condescension in any way. Uh, because these are important messages. I just like to do things really differently. And so I'm seeing a lot of people evoking sympathy and every TV ad is like, let's be in this together and let's band together, buy our stuff because we're together. Uh, and so I'm going, okay, I need something that instead of, hey, let's all band together, I need something that singles one person out. In this case, it was me. So there's the first strategy is I need to go from Instead of let's all do this together, I need something that takes the opposite approach. Like, hey, let's punish one person. <laughs> uh, I believe it's the German term schadenfreude. There's no English word for schadenfreude, but schadenfreude, the loose translation is taking pleasure in someone else's pain. <laughs> and so using the schadenfreude concept, literally schadenfreude is the opposite of every messaging, Instagram posts, everything out there that was going on. So that's the first idea. Then the other idea with this is that it, it, it is also positive during a time of like extreme negativity. Something fun is what I'm trying to say. Not just positive, but fun. So, okay, I need something that's fun and stupid, which stupid to me usually ends up being fun. And so that's where the idea of running came in. It really, it, it really was a stupid idea. I am not a runner, like not built to run. I'm like 230 pounds. Like I, I had shin splints all throughout college while playing football. Like not a good idea, stupid, but that's what made it fun for other people. So there's the combination of fun, shot and Freud. And so there's the idea of why I think it stuck out, uh, not to mention the positivity of giving back to open arms. And so I, I, Kevin got me in contact with open arms and just straight away, I was like, look, we're a really small coffee roaster, but we're just, so the actual monetary donation may not be enough to make a real impact. And we, we know that, but hopefully we can bring exposure and awareness to open arms, uh, an organization that not a lot of people know about in the twin cities. And they were awesome. Megan White over there is just awesome and supportive and saying anything we can do to help, let us know. Any little, anything you can do helps, even if it's a small amount. And so with that in hand, the partnership solidified. That was Monday. And so Tuesday is when I got in contact with them. The partner was solidified. That night, I said, okay, how do we get the word out? Instagram is good. Our email list is is pretty dang good at this point. That's a good way to get the existing Folly customers on board with this program. But how do we reach a new audience? And so that's where I just very quickly Tuesday started researching how to get on news. <laughs> and so I did a lot of research on Tuesday about um, about organic PR uh, and so public relations. And so doing research on organic PR, I realized one of the simplest tools that I really haven't utilized much is a press release. Uh, reporters are flooded with requests for stories or ideas for stories. So when you can create a press release for them with the story already kind of mapped out, it makes it much easy to under much easier to understand what the program is, and it also makes it much easier for them to report on it. So I did just Google research, literally typing just like how to 
make press release and found some pretty good you know templates uh they have free templates so i just once i figured out that there was kind of a template to uh to press releases, I just Googled free press release template. I chose the one that made the most sense for the program, and I knew that the headline had to be compelling. And so I just, in a headline, you kind of have to think about what are the compelling points of this program? Well, the compelling points of this program is that it's a local business who is supporting a local charity with a very unconventional way of doing it, and that being one kilometer for every bag sold. So the in fact, I could probably pull it up and just read exactly what the what the press release headline was that I used. Running program. This is exciting content. Looking stuff on my phone. Computer. It's a computer. It's not a phone. And I found the press release. All right, and we're back. So the... Uh, the press release basically it says for immediate release. So this was Tuesday. We were launching the program Friday. Uh, and so for immediate release, it says my name. It says the business. It says my phone number and email so that they can contact you directly immediately if they have questions about the program. So the headline I used was local coffee roaster owner to run one kilometer and donate $1 to local charity for every bag ordered online this weekend. 424 through 426. It's a bit of a long headline, but you can read that and have a very good idea of what's about to happen. And then the body of the uh, press release just has the information about the program. So you read that, you understand what it is, you go down to the body, it has all the uh, information and details about it. And so I send this out to, I just go to different publications that I like and uh, I, I send it to them through their website. Usually there's a generic email. Uh, there's some sort of like info sesh, uh, or there's like a contact so-and-so for press releases. Uh, so it, or like story tips. And so I just went to all the publications that I like to read or watch and sent it to them. And at that point had really no idea what to expect. And then the next day, uh, WCCO contacted me. Can we run this story? So they run it online on Wednesday that, hey, this is happening this weekend. And then I didn't even know it was going to happen, but all of a sudden we get a shout out in City Pages. And then WCCO says, hey, can we have you on, on live on the air so on Friday so that you can announce that you're doing this program to hopefully raise some awareness for it. And just like that, this program went from something that's just like within the world of folly to a brand new audience, most of them if not all of them, probably have no idea who Folly Coffee even is. And this also expands the opportunity to actually have this program impact open arms in a much more positive, more impactful way. So at that point, I go, okay, this already seems like a success. Uh, just the awareness it's going to have by the time this thing launches. Uh, so the strategy was pre-create an Instagram post ahead of time, both a post and a story. Looks like that camera just died. I'm going to let that one cool off. Let's see if this one's still going. All right, the iPhone's still going, so we'll keep going there. Where was I? Okay, so at that point, you need to create the Instagram post ahead of time. Create storyline ahead of time. Make sure your partners know what time you're doing all the posts so that they can repost or post uh, 
one of their own, so open arms in this case, and then uh, announced Thursday night that we'll be live on WCCO. And I kept it all a mystery to the public at this point because you want to create like some intrigue, a little bit of that like, wait, he's going to be on live TV? So this isn't just another stupid volley thing. This is a real thing? (laughs) I always say like, no, I swear we're a real business. I swear. And then came the fear that set in that I go, oh, wait, I'm actually going to be on TV uh, live which I've never done before. How do I approach that? And so I kind of started YouTubing like interviews, like live interviews. I went to the WCCO page to see a little bit about their format, how they do it. John Anderson at WCCO was very helpful and like making me very, very comfortable with what was about to happen. And so again, thinking of the blue ocean, I go, normal interviews are just, that's the red ocean. Are people going to watch every single interview that's played every single day? Definitely not. But what would people watch? And so I decided I had to make an absolute fool of myself in order to kind of like break through to just get a few seconds of that attention span. And so that's where uh, me and my buddy Eric were sitting by the fire spitballing ideas back and forth. And we landed on the idea that I should be wearing a robe since it's the morning news and very early, and a shower cap. And then underneath the robe is a running outfit with some nice short shorts. And then take off the shower cap, got my folly headband on. And just be, I I was trying to channel a little bit of that like WWE, uh, like wrestler promo kind of vibe. And so uh, in case you didn't see the clip, it's on our Instagram, it's on our Instagram TV, it's on our YouTube page. But I wore the robe, and then Jason kind of Jason DeRussia, who was hugely helpful and supportive during this time, uh, he kind of introduced, said, "What's happening?" And then that's where I just got really ridiculous with it, like WWE, like blah blah blah. What I'm gonna do is this week only, and I just got really, really just made a nice idiot of myself. But the thing about being an idiot is back to that Schadenfreude concept. People are watching. They're going, "Look at this." crazy guy that might not be fully right in the head, but that means they're watching it. It means they're engaging with it. And it gets the message across that. Like, why is this guy so over the top about something? And almost immediately after that aired, it aired at 6.20 in the morning. And I'm going, who's up at 6.20 watching this thing? Aired at 6.20 in the morning. And right when I got to my phone after the interview, orders were already rolling in. And then that's also when... I realized that, oh, I actually have to run a kilometer for every bag sold. Hmm. Okay. And so the plan ahead of time, and this is a key point when you're doing any sort of a limited time program, we had it so that every bag purchased just through the weekend. And the reason we did that is any sort of sales campaign, you want urgency. Urgency is really key to get people to purchase something or to become a part of a program like this. Because if you go, hey, this month we are donating a dollar per bag, blah, blah, blah. People go, oh, it's a month. I'll think about it three weeks and six days from now. But if you go this weekend only, you have 72 hours to be able to buy a bag of Folly Coffee, make Rob run a kilometer, and we give a dollar back to Open Arms. 
creates that urgency, which was a big part of this program. And so ahead of time, knowing that it was only a weekend, I had a full kind of uh, update strategy that Saturday, we're going to do a midday update on Instagram Live, an email update, uh, and tag all of our new partners, WCCO, Jason DeRussia, Open Arms with an update of where we're at, how far will I have to run, uh, how much money is going back to open arms, how many weeks of meals does that translate to, and then uh, again on Sunday. And so what was really cool is WCCO kept running this spot. Uh, Apparently it was a very popular spot because so many people were like, this guy is ridiculous. Uh, And, you know, they probably didn't tell me this, but we're like, we should run this stupid guy over and over. Ugh. And so they kept running the promo, and so the sales kept rolling in. And so by the end of the weekend, uh, we had sold 208 bags of coffee, which is 208 kilometers that I had to run. Oh, this is the other part, is I didn't just say I would run these kilometers whenever. Oh, I'll, I'll get them done this year. I put it w- that it had to happen within a week. That way it's a real challenge. And that's another key point to this is there has to be accountability for the end of the program. And so the start date, the end date of the program, and then the start date and the end date of the running are key for success of a program. Any program needs to have a start date, an end date, and it needs to be very clear what is happening during, before, and after this program. And so Sunday at midnight hits, got some really nice bombs dropped on me. I think people literally were waiting for Sunday night to be like, wait for it, and boom. So 208 kilometers, 129.25 miles, which ends up being 18.65 miles per day. This every single day. So 18.65 is much, much, much longer than I've ever ran at once. And I had to do that every single day. So that was the program. And then the other part was because people were so interested in the results of this, I was able to get another interview on WCCO on the Monday morning to be able to provide the end result, how far I had to ran, how far, how far I had to run in the next week, and another one at the end of the program to see if I actually ran them. And so the reason I think uh, just looking back, and actually Jason Derusha did a great job uh, summarizing on LinkedIn, he, he posted, which he's got an awesome presence on LinkedIn, Jason DeRussia. If you want to talk about somebody that knows how to do social media right, give him a follow. Uh, Jason DeRussia of WCCO. Let's see if I can find that post because I keep getting tagged in it like every other day, every time somebody likes it. Where are his posts? This is great content. This is a podcast. Listening to me, looking for stuff. Looking for stuff. I don't know if I'll find it, but I'm going to take 10 more seconds to look. 10, 9, 8, 7. Here it is. So uh, the post he did kind of summed up this like blue ocean strategy of why it could have worked. Is He said, great personality and... By great personality, I think he meant like odd, different, uh, entertaining TV segment, an easy challenge. And I think by easy, hopefully he didn't mean that the running was easy. Hopefully he meant that the, the, the challenge was easy to understand and a great charitable component. And so when you look at those things, 
that he posted about, that's kind of where I realized that's like, that's why this program was working and why people actually wanted to hear about it. And so looking at it from a purely business perspective, I think the reason this worked, the reason WCCO and City Pages wanted to write about it, the reason people kept up with the, our Folly Story views were at an all-time high every single day, the reason I think people were so engaged is because it was different. It was different in almost every single layer of it in the sense that it was a physical challenge, which is kind of uncommon in a sales campaign. It was that schadenfreude, you know, the taking pleasure in someone else's pain. Will Rob actually run all these miles? And then uh, the schadenfreude of like, this guy's an idiot on TV. Uh, and then at the end of the day, it's great coffee too. So if someone's kind of been looking for a great coffee, it's like, it's hard to... Because we're so immersed in it, sometimes I forget that that it's like, oh, yeah, and our coffee's really, really good. And so what was awesome is we're exposed to this uh, entirely new audience of WCCO. And I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure that the reason so many people bought it from WCCO is because of the program. But what's really cool is after the fact, I'm getting a lot of feedback and tags and comments from these viewers who have said over and over, I have never had Folly Coffee. I saw them on WCCO. I wanted to support this program. I wanted to watch Rob run. But also, this is some of the best coffee I've had. Which, that is the final layer to what, how this can help business grow. Is, if you have a bad product, people would still support this program because of the added layers of it all. So much going on that it's, it's an easy program to support. But if we had cheap, bitter, over-roasted coffee, they would get the bag, maybe they tag it and say, cool program. That's the last time they're ever going to buy it. But for something like this to be worth it in the long haul, you really do have to have that amazing product that is going out to people. So I'm going to double check, see if this camera is no longer overheated to see if we can't get this visual going back again. Focus, and we are back in business with this camera. Okay, let's check real quick here. So that's like 38 minutes, kind of summing up the like business side of that. Uh, so to recap, the key points here is the things that brought to success the success of this program, the organic PR. This is the key, is organic PR, so public relations, basically like getting the word out. Organic PR, and I don't mean organic in the sense of organic coffee. I mean it that it naturally happens as opposed to like paid advertising. Paid advertising can be effective, but organic, uh, organic PR is insanely by a high multiplier more effective by far one because you don't have to worry about ROI because it's organic you, you're not paying for this but also they're reporting on it because they want to report on it people are sharing it because they want to share it they're telling their friends about it because they want to tell their friends about it I've got the full episode about my favorite books uh Malcolm Gladwell's, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the name. It's not Outliers. That's my favorite book of all time. But, one second, this is going to bother me. 
Malcolm Gladwell book. Super professional podcast. Googling. Probably not even going to edit this out. Yeah. Uh, tipping point. That's what it's called. Tipping point has an entire thing about word of mouth and how it works and the type of person that generates this. Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. This is kind of the first book I read where I realized the importance of word of mouth is that everybody has friends that they trust on certain things or they just trust their friends in general. Their friends know them. And so who are you going to listen to? A paid TV advertisement? Or let's say in this case, what are you going to watch? Are you going to watch a paid TV advertisement? Are you going to go to YouTube and Google or like try to find paid TV ads? No, you try to skip through that. But what will you watch? Someone who shares a clip with you, one of your friends, because your friends know what you think is funny, your friends know what you like. So if your friend is sharing with you, you're much more likely to care. So word of mouth, when possible, organic PR. But the reason this worked is because I did the research into a press release. And I will say, this is this is a gut feeling here. No research done here. I don't know how often a company should do press releases. If you're already a highly notable company, like if you're Amazon, you should do a press release about everything because everybody cares about every move you do. If you're Folly Coffee, no one cares. Like no one cares what you're doing. And so the only time I ever will do a press release is if it's something that I go, this this is different. This is big. This is way, way, way different than anything we're doing. I'm not seeing it in the market. If we were to just say Folly Coffee releases new website, I doubt that would have worked because a lot of people have new websites. A lot of people have better websites. Yeah, I know. Tumbling. But the frequency of press releases, if you're a small business, keep them very, very low. And so this is only the second one I've ever done. We did a press release when we launched, like two months in, once we got into some stores. And that got picked up by some local publications So this is the second one we've done in two and a half years in business, if that gives you any indication to how frequently we're doing. So did the research on the press release. Uh, This one was much better than the first, I think. Uh, And then just going back to the whole blue ocean strategy of the program. So to recap, if you are going to do an effective campaign, the things you need is, is it noteworthy? Is it new? Is it different? Have the enthusiasm in which you promote it match the effectiveness of the program. This is something that if you're following a company or a business and every single email you get from them, every single post is, we are launching huge news tomorrow. Massive news. This is going to be an absolute game changer. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss this one. And then you go to the next day. They're like, we have a new coffee. It's really delicious that credibility of announcements is lost. And so I'm not saying don't get excited about new coffees. I get extremely excited about new coffees. But if you're doing something that's kind of run of the mill, been done several times before within your business, your customers like it, but it's not an absolute game changer, have your enthusiasm match that. Like, hey, we have a new coffee coming out tomorrow. Stay tuned. We have a new product coming out tomorrow. You won't want to miss this one. That's different than saying like game changer, everything's going to be different. But for this program, it was like, this is the first time we've ever done it. This is the first time I've ever seen something like this. This is the first time that we've gotten on air. So we, we, we hyped it like crazy. And so hopefully people then subconsciously register that when Folly hypes something really, really hard, it's serious. 
and that other things, we try to match the enthusiasm for the program. So match the enthusiasm to the program, organic PR, have it be different enough that it creates that organic PR, um, and then just do things differently than how others are doing it, even during sensitive times. Even you can tell early in the episode that I just tread very lightly when I talk about these things because you, in my mind, I have to separate the seriousness of the actual pandemic from business. Because if you muddle the two together, it's going to create a very muddled business strategy with a lot of caution and a lot of treading lightly. And so you have to separate them and have it be known that we are taking the pandemic seriously. We are doing everything that needs to be done to make sure we are safe, to make sure our customers are safe. But does that mean we can't have fun? Does that mean we can't do stupid stuff? And when I say stupid, I mean stupid stuff where I'm still able to socially distance. I'm still able to be alone and run 129 miles. So that's the end of this episode if you are only interested in like the business side of this. The last 15 minutes or so, I'm going to go over the actual running part because people go, wait, did you actually run it? How did it feel? Was it fun? Would you do it again? Are you a runner now? You're totally a runner now, aren't you? So if you're if that's what you wanted to hear about, uh, just kind of like how to how to maybe that's what I'll title this episode: How to run a successful marketing campaign or sales campaign. Really, is what this was. That's what this episode was. That that's why this program worked. And hopefully, there's something in here that you can take to be able to apply it to sales campaigns that you might want to run. And this isn't just for products. This can be for anybody creating content, anybody with a message, anybody trying to book gigs. Not during this time, but in the future. You know what I mean. So, end of episode 29, how to run a successful sales campaign. Now, on to the actual running. So, the total comes in at 18.65 miles a day. Uh, and, I'm not going to lie, I was like excited in a weird way. I have this sick, twisted part of my mind that's like, Yes, the number's high enough that people will care. And it's like, at this point, I'm all business brain. I'm like, yes, it's n- if, it was, if it was like five to 10 miles a day, people go, eh, I have a friend that does five to 10 miles a day. I'm like, that's actually just what runners do to stay in shape. Nobody would care. Nobody would stay tuned. Maybe, but not, not to the level that they did. We got up to like 13 miles and I'm like, okay, we're at a half marathon. Now we're talking things that are hard to do, but even like 13 to 15, you go, okay, I have that one crazy runner friend that does that every day. And then we got to 18. I'm like, okay, that is, we are six miles shy of a marathon every day. And then doing the math, it's the same as five marathons in seven days. So Rob, you must've been preparing this whole weekend to run a lot of miles, right? Nope. Uh, I got, I got lucky. I got a pair of running shoes for my birthday in January that I really hadn't used yet. Uh, so I had running shoes. Uh, I found a pair of thick socks cause I was told blisters would be a big problem. So I found a pair of thick socks and, uh, my strategy was run really far, uh, every day. So 
the initial idea was like, I should just try to run as many miles as I can every single day. And so I set out Monday morning, I start running and I'm going at like a good, like nine, 10 minute mile pace for about uh, 10 to 12 miles, just running along the highway, running along the lake, like able to stay listening to podcasts, listening to audio books. And like 10 miles is where it starts to set in that this is going to be a really, really long week. I had 10 miles around a 10 minute mile pace, felt really good up to that point. And then all of a sudden my water bottle was empty. I already ate what I thought was an entire run's worth of Gatorade, like chews or whatever those were. And then when I started walking around 10 miles, I started to cramp. And so that's where I stopped at a gas station, chugged like two Gatorades and ate some like almonds and stuff and just kept running. And so that day I got through at with that strategy to like 18.8 miles and so at that point I think my mile time had dropped to like 13 to 14 and I got to 18.8 miles and that's when the body really started to shut down nicely on day one uh it was a hot day I was clearly getting dehydrated the legs were really starting to cramp uh the quads specifically uh my left quad started cramping really nicely every time I walked so I, was, I started kind of just like shuffling and at that point I took a pretty long break and drank a bunch of water and like ate some more almonds and all that good stuff and just walked out and I also that day I made it one giant 24 mile loop. And so at 18.8, I can't say, okay, I'm shutting down. I got my 18.6 for the day. Uh, I did this kind of on purpose. I go, well, I have to get back to my car. And so the last, what was that? Six, six and a half miles was just a pure like hobble, like a walk, but kind of just like a shuffle at that point. Uh, like a 16, 17, 18 minute mile pace for the last six miles. And I'm not going to lie. I After day one, like, yeah, I was cramping. Yeah, I was tired. I was sore, but I felt really good because I was like, I just ran a couple miles shy of a marathon today. Uh, I was definitely hurting, but it was like a good sense of accomplishment for that reason. It wasn't until I woke up the next morning that the gravity of the situation really set in. Uh, I was doing nothing but eating and drinking water, heavily salting my foods. The next morning I wake up, it is 50 degrees and raining, which is just cold enough to be like you can't wear a jacket without being too hot, but uh, it's just warm enough where you can't wear a nice jacket without getting too hot. And it's cold enough that the rain is nice and nice and cold on you as you try to run. And it was that day that the gravity of the situation really set in. And I decided after day one, because of the cramping, because of just the sheer amount of time it took to run that far, that I would break all my runs up in the future. So I had run 10 miles at a time, or I'd ran 10 miles on Monday and felt good. Like I felt good at that point. And so I figured if I can do under 10 mile runs, I should be able to feel good. And so that was the goal for the second day. And I kind of like ended up running like four or five mile, uh, and felt pretty dang good again. Once I got loosened up, uh, I was hydrated again. I was never running and it wasn't hot. So I wasn't cramping anymore. It was just like cold and rainy. I was wearing a rain jacket with a thing cinched around my head. And so day two went pretty well. But that night I got 
just very started getting very sore and then day three hit and each consecutive day so wednesday at that point all three days i had met at or above the minimum requirement that 18.65 miles the thing i really really didn't plan for is like oh yeah we just ran a really successful (laughs) by our standards sales campaign you know it was the best that we've ran to date That means we also have to roast that coffee. We also have to package it. We also have to ship it out. We also have to deliver it. And so Thursday, thinking I would get all my miles done, I got up, got like eight or nine done in the morning, and then packaging took forever. I got back home at like nine. It was dark, and so I bought a headlamp and started running in the dark. And then so I was like in bed at like midnight or so that night, and then I was up early, early the next morning to deliver the coffee. And so those two days fell, fell behind. And so by the time I got to the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, and so at this point, my legs are just pretty much shot. Like I was starting to get really intense knee pain right under the patellas, right under the kneecaps. Uh, The ankles were really starting, like, especially on the back, like the Achilles were starting to get really tight and just like walking upstairs sucked and just like moving sucked and like doing anything sucked. And so I got the deliveries done, got some running done Friday, but going into Saturday, I had to run 23 miles Saturday and Sunday to be able to finish it. So Saturday, I'm like, oh, I'll go up to, uh, I'm going to do a change of scenery. So I ran four or five miles in the morning. And at this point, when I say run, it's like, if you were to see me running, you'd be like, why is such a young guy have so many hip problems? Just, it's like, I called it the shuffle hobble. It was literally just like, and just like hoping nothing shut down for these last two days. So I got like four or five miles done in the morning, drove up to Duluth. I was like, oh, change of scenery. This will be nice. Two and a half hour drive made the legs nice and tight and then got up there and it was just a slow go. And so I went into Sunday needing 29 miles to finish. Luckily, it was a beautiful day and So the strategy that day was like, the only thing I'm going to do today is run. And so the way I did that is I set up basically like treats along the way, like stations, like things that are evenly split apart. The first one, uh, the block in St. Louis Park has, they opened their new biscuits pop up. So first stop, a couple miles away from my place, I'm going to run there and eat an awesome biscuit. Then after that, the next stop will be London Uptown. I'll grab a snack there. They have a great selection of snacks. I'm going to get a snack and, and rehydrate and get something cool there, uh, cool to drink. And then from there, I'm like, all right, then Jeff's place is four or five miles from here. Uh, we'll do. I'll do uh, a figure eight lap around whoops, Lake Calhoun, uh, Bede Makaska, and uh, Lake Harriet, do the full loop there, and then end up at Jeff's. And so... End up at Jeff's at uh, Folly Jeff at 15.5 miles. And so I still have, no, no. At that point, we we're 20 miles, like 20 plus miles. And so I knew I had, I was like on the, the way down, Jeff made me a coffee. And at that point, it's like mostly walking, just like miserable, miserable walking. This, like sunburnt. 
I've got extreme sun rash on both of my calves despite reapplying sunscreen every hour. Uh, my ankles are starting to turn black and blue. I've got some pretty extreme swelling. Both my knees th- from the week were already swollen and just continuing to swell from this massive, massive walk run. But ended up getting it done. Made a stop at Sebastian Joe's. They have this like Oreo ice cream dipped in dark chocolate. Ugh, that was what we ate with four miles left. And then the two, like, I thought when it got close to the end, I'd be like, this is the end. This is going to be great. I'm going to get that burst of adrenaline and endorphins. Did not happen. Things started just shutting down. It was two miles of just like a brutal walk. And then the last two miles, I just said like, it's going to hurt, but just keep the feet moving. It's just shuffled out the last two miles. And then I got home, checked the GPS tracker, and I was 0.1 miles short. <laughs> Actually, no, 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 no. That's not right. I had finished the challenge, but I was 0.1 miles short of having a 30-mile day. So I said, I'm not going to finish this thing and not have a 30-mile day. So I go out in the parking lot, and I do a 0.1-mile shuffle to finish out a 30-mile day. And I will tell you the feeling of finishing 130 miles in a week, averaging over 18.65 miles a day from having never run long distances before, like maybe 10 miles at the most at one time. I sat in that lounge chair in my living room and was just in a lot of pain, but it was like a very satisfying pain, which sounds so weird, but just like sat there and was just like the feeling of I was done with this. No more five, six hours of every day running, walking, not to mention the constant eating and refueling and supplementation to make sure that I don't cramp. And that was just an amazing feeling. I was in so much pain and today is Thursday and my ankles are just now starting to turn back to regular color. Uh, and then the the final kind of bow on the whole thing was our interview with WCCO the next morning. Uh, live, we like Skyped it through, another weird byproduct of uh, the, the times, but I haven't even mentioned at this point. Um, I'm going to actually splice this back into the episode. So I'm going to finish at that. If you want to see any of what I'm talking about, head to our Instagram, head to our YouTube. We did a bunch of videos on it. Like it was such a painful but rewarding experience. And one of my takeaways from this whole thing is like find something to challenge yourself more than you think possible, but make sure there is accountability. If you don't have extreme accountability and ownership on something like this, you probably, I wouldn't have ended up running every mile if it was just for me because of just the amount of pain. (laughs) But because I was holding myself accountable in such a public way, I had to get it done. It's interesting. Uh, So I'm going to end this episode like I do every other and say, have a nice day. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>